This morning we begin a series uh, on the Apostles' Creed called Belief Matters. So we'll be six weeks uh, into the Apostles' Creed, diving a little bit deeper into it and its meaning and maybe some of those places where, um, if we admit it, we don't quite understand how it all works, like the Trinity, for instance, and things like that. Um, So we'll be looking at that together uh, in the coming weeks. This morning we begin with, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so I I invite you to, um, to join me prayerfully in this series as we, as, as we consider, as we consider it together. Uh, Our first scripture uh, that we'll look at is the first scripture indeed uh, from Genesis 1. I invite you to hear these familiar words and possibly hear them in a new way uh, as we read this great poem that begins, that begins our Bible. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate the waters from each other. God made the dome and separated the waters under the dome from the waters above the dome. And it happened in that way. God named the dome sky. There was evening and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the sky come together in one place so that the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. God named the dry land earth and he named the gathered waters seas. God saw how good it was. God said, let the earth grow plant life, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind throughout the earth. And that's what happened. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds, each according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning, the third day. God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will mark events, sacred seasons, days, and years. There will be lights in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth. And that's what happened. God made the stars and two great lights the larger light to rule over the day and the smaller light to rule over the night. God put them in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw how good it was. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with living things. Let birds fly above the earth up in the dome of the sky. God created great sea animals and all the tiny living things that swarm in the waters, each according to its kind, and all the winged birds, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. Then God blessed them, be fertile and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. God said, let the earth produce every kind of living thing, livestock, crawling things, and wildlife. And that's what happened. God made every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, and every kind of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw how good it was. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. 
God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give to you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food. To all wildlife, to all the birds of the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything he had made. It was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done. And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Every Sunday, millions of Christians recite the creed. Some sleepwalk through it, thinking of other things. Some puzzle over the strange language. Some find offense in what it seems to say. Perhaps few of them fully appreciate what a remarkable thing they are doing. Would they keep on doing it if they grasped how different it made them in today's world? Would they keep on saying these words if they really knew what they implied? In this introduction to one of his chapters about the creed, scholar Luke Timothy Johnson asked some important questions of those of us who recite this creed. We are part of a church that recites these words in some form every week, whether the Apostles or the Nicene Creed. And the church has literally been proclaiming these words in some fashion for nearly 1,700 years. But how many of us sleepwalk through the creed, like Johnson says? Do we at times say the words because we know they are important, but we really don't put a lot of thought behind them? The Apostles' Creed begins with, I believe, and the Nicene begins with, we believe. The word creed is translated from the Latin word, which literally means believe. I prefer the beginning of the Nicene Creed, actually, with the words, we believe, because our creed is stronger when we are saying it together. There are days, of course, when you're not sure what you believe, or you're filled with doubt. It might be tough to say, I believe on those days, but we believe is a stronger position. It tells us that we can rely on one another and the strength of what people have believed throughout the years. When we proclaim the words of a creed, we are placing ourselves under a tradition and in a line of faith and practice. Luke Timothy Johnson writes in his intro, for modernity, belief in a creed is a sign of intellectual failure. You see, because creeds are statements about faith and cannot be tested under the scientific method, creeds are thus presented or deemed as structures of fantasy. Throughout her history, the church has called the creed a variety of things. And four terms specifically have been used to describe the creed. Profession of faith, rule of faith, 
definition of faith and symbol of faith. I'm going to impact those four for you just to, to, just to look at them for a moment. Profession implies that to say a creed is to bear witness to our, in our lives that this is true. A rule of faith is a term we are not used to, but it is about measurement. When a creed is referred to as a rule, it becomes the lens by which then we view and understand Scripture. A definition of faith gives the boundaries of Christian faith and community. And rather than seeing that term restrictively, I invite you to see it instead as like the playing field of the Christian faith. Sports that we love, right, are a lot better when they have rules to them and a defined playing area that makes, and and amazing things can happen within the boundaries and rules and definition of, of faith. So that's, that's what I encourage you to think of it like. Symbol is not a term about the creed representing something. Instead, it is taken from a Greek term about the joining of two objects. So throughout Christian history, the creed has been used in baptismal services as the new member of the community identifies themselves by saying the creed and saying that they belong to this community now. It's like a pledge or a commitment where they join themselves. And throughout Christian history, that's been called a symbol of faith. Ultimately, in this series, Belief Matters, I not only want to describe the matters of belief and break down the meaning of the Apostles' Creed, even more, I want to help to see and understand why what we believe matters. So today, we're asking this question, why does believing God the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, matter? The first reason why I believe this statement matters is this. We are saying that we believe in the eternal existence of God. I see this when we first start out and we say, I believe in God. The God of Scripture is introduced to us in the first words of Scripture. Look at the first two verses with me. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God is there on the scene. In the beginning, God is there. This is the assumption of Scripture. Nothing could create God. Were someone or something to create God, then God would not be God, but that thing or being that created God would somehow be God. This also holds true for the beginning of the universe. Many scientists today hold on to some form of the Big Bang Theory, and a bunch of you are thinking like about a TV show, but that's, it started with about this term, okay, right? So the belief that the universe began from a burst of energy and all of a sudden there was something when before there was nothing. Many of these same scientists who hold this acknowledge that this bang had to come from somewhere, and this had to be outside of nature. This definitely allows for the possibility of an eternal being like the God of the Bible to be the cause of something like a Big Bang. I want to shoot straight with you this morning. We cannot grasp in our human minds the idea of a God who is eternal past and future. It probably makes your brain hurt when you start to think like that. It makes mine. It's too big to wrap our heads around. All I know is that if I'm going to place my life in someone's hands, I want it to be the someone who's always been and who always will be. Friends, we cannot definitively prove the existence of God. And there are days when all of us may doubt God's presence in the world or in our lives. We know this to be true, for for none of us can see God. 
And where we get into trouble is when we attempt to prove God's existence by directly seeing God. C.S. Lewis, when he described believing in God, he described it as, I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. In other words, to learn about God, we can seek out where we see God. This is the question we ask as a church regarding this measure of passion that we describe. Where did you see God today? We're not asking, where did you actually physically see the personhood of God? We're asking where you saw God's revealing presence all around. When we talk about God's eternal existence, thinking about God starting the Big Bang or something like that might be a fine place to start. But God is not just a force. We are not talking about something like Aristotle's unmoved mover. Rather, we are saying that we believe in a being who is intelligent and powerful. So as much as we cannot define exactly what God is like, when we proclaim the beginning of the creed, we allow for this possibility of mystery. Luke Timothy Johnson writes, The believer affirms that there is mystery at the heart of the world, a mystery that does not yield to direct examination, that refuses to be measured or manipulated, yet suggests its presence in every single thing that we can feel and taste and see and hear and smell in the world. This presence of God is not only something that we experience, but we also believe that God has always existed. When we, first, when we speak about this first sentence of the creed, however, we are also speaking about God as creator. What is incredible about the description of the creation of the world in Genesis is that God creates simply through a word. God said, let there be light. And so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God speaks creation into existence and sees how good that creation is. It is important to note that this first chapter of Scripture is not a science textbook. It does not seek to answer exactly how the variety of species was formed, but it does give us the information that God is powerful and created it all. Many recognize today that evolution is indeed a possibility of how species evolved over time. And God very well could have assisted in this process or led this process. Science does not need to be considered in competition with a biblical worldview. Christians must be able to accept the reality that the earth is much more than 10,000 years old and that no matter how creation occurred, that God did it. Have you ever been staring at the immensity of the ocean? or looking at a hazy mountain view in the Blue Ridge Mountains, or staring into the stars and recognize just how small you are. It's an incredible moment, and it oftentimes can lead us into worship. Theologians call this, re this reflection on creation that leads us to worship general revelation. Psalm 8 depicts this moment quite clearly. When I look up at your skies, at what your fingers made, the moon and the stars that you set firmly in place, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? You've made them only slightly less than divine, crowning them with glory and grandeur. You've let them rule over your handiwork, putting everything under 
their feet. It isn't just creation's vastness, though. When we zoom in and see the detail and plan of creation, it is also just as incredible. Listen to the words of Genesis 1.12. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds, each according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. So from the beginning, God made a way for all of these plants and vegetation to reproduce. And God obviously did this with all of the animals and even people. And it was good. The universe is an explosion of God's glory. And God the Father did not stop creating after this first creation. Rather, God is still in the business of creating. This is God's present and constant activity and depicts how God is involved in our world. It is not that God created, it is that God is creator and is still creating. Now I recognize that when we say that first sentence of the creed, there are some issues with the language of Father for God. One of those is the problem that people have with their earthly fathers. For some people who have been abused, who have seen abusive or non-existent fathers, the idea of God as father is quite difficult. The idea that a bad earthly father reflects upon how we view God is not the intent, however, of this word father. One way to look at this is to use a statement like this. God is father, but not as we understand fatherhood. What we see in the description of God as father is really ultimately seen in Jesus' relationship with God. This is where we find the father language depicted so clearly when Jesus says and prays to his father. This doesn't solve the issue for those of us who have a gut-level negative reaction to the term father. But hopefully we can see that the word father is not intended to conjure up those images and experiences that have brought us real pain. The second objection to the language of God as father is the notion that God is male. We must acknowledge from the outset that God does not have a particular gender. Obviously, in Jesus who took on flesh, the second person of the Trinity took on the male gender. But all throughout Scripture, God in God's very self is described in ways that can be considered both male and female. Listen to the words of Isaiah 42.14 as God speaks. I've kept still for a very long time. I've been silent and restrained myself. Like a woman in labor, I will moan, I will pant, I will gasp. This type of imagery occurs a great deal in Isaiah. For those of you who have recently given birth, it also makes you shudder. In Psalm 91.4, we get this familiar image of God as the mother hen. God will protect you with his pinions. You'll find refuge under his wings. His faithfulness is a protective shield. God is bigger than the male or female gender. After all, in creation, the text says that God created humans in God's image. Male and female, God created them. So God has characteristics often considered male and characteristics often considered female. The Bible was written in a culture of patriarchy. Power, money, and family were all passed down through the oldest male. That does not mean that that culture or way is good. It simply was the way culture was. So pronouns for God are male in the Bible in the same way that one learns Spanish 
the pronouns default to male. I would say that we don't need to throw out the language of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we do need to supplement this language and recognize that God is not inherently male. For the world ruled by men hasn't exactly fared too well, I think we could all agree. In this male-dominated world, we have come to a time where the haves and the have-nots are further apart than ever. We have found more and more ways to be in perpetual war and conflict. In their latest album, the Avett Brothers sing about this. If you don't listen to the Avett Brothers, you should. Start today. And imagine a better tomorrow in their song, New Woman's World. Some of the lyrics go like this. Ladies, I'm sorry, but we couldn't seem to learn how to live in peace, so Rome had to burn. And we cared about clean air, but there was money to be made. And breathing's nice, but it don't compare with getting paid. The chorus says, it used to be a man's world, but we didn't treat it right. It used to be a man's world, but all we did was fight. I'm glad it's finally in the hands of the women and the girls. I can't wait to see, to see what they do with what's left of the world. Please, I beg your pardon, but we got a bit confused. Some of our brothers thought our sisters were born for getting used. Then we made the assumption that's how it should be done, then tried to excuse ourselves in the name of fun. So God as Father is the best of what fatherhood is. I encourage us not to get hung up on the maleness of God and instead on the idea that God is a perfect, caring parent and that God is a parent unlike any we have ever known. For we are describing an indescribable being, so even the term parent is an analogy to the family. It's the best we can do with our limited scope and limited language. So getting back to my question at the beginning, why does it matter that we believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. Well, first, because in creation, God creates humanity in God's image. This image of God is written into our hearts, and it has a better answer to the why of our existence than any that science can give. Adam Hamilton describes it this way in his book, The Creed. I believe in God because though, Dor though Darwin got many things right in his classic work on the origin of, the, of species, Humans demonstrate an interesting capacity to violate the laws of natural selection and how we live as species. When we care for the weak, when we are faithful to a spouse, when we show compassion to the struggling, when we choose to love our enemies, we are acting counter to the laws of natural selection, but consistent with an inner law written on our hearts that we intuitively know is the right and good path. I believe that this inner law which reflects humanity at its best, points to the one in whose image we were created. Friends, because we are created in God's image, we can and are even made to act against the selfish ways that inhabit each of our hearts. This is the way of the Father, a way of self-giving and of creation for the sake of relationship. We are called to pattern our lives after this image. That's part of why this creed matters so much. We are saying that this is the God we follow. This is the God in whose image we were created. Not only that, but what we are saying when we say that I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, we are saying that God is. God has always been and is eternal. That's a massive statement of faith. And then we take it beyond that in our Christian belief. Because after everything that God made, God declared that it was good. I believe that when we say that we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, we are saying that God is good. 
This tells us a great deal about the type of father that we serve. This is a good God. This God we learn and experience is good and has our best interests at heart. This God is for us. When we profess our faith in the creed, it's about more than a statement of faith. We are professing truths that alter the way we see the world and understand our relationship with God. This I believe. And I pray that once our eyes are opened, we'll never be able to sleepwalk through it again. Amen.